Hello and welcome to the Food Climate Podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. Please like and subscribe share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, in this new episode of Founder Series, we sat down and had a concrete discussion with Mario Schmidt, co-founder and CEO of Econoct, which turns biochar into an additive for concrete that partially replaces cement and other emission-intensive ingredients to make concrete carbon-neutral, lighter, more insulating, along with a couple of further benefits. As an economist training, but an environmentalist by nature, Mario was already alarmed by climate change at 18, but didn't know how to address it at that time. After working in a consulting firm for several years, but still drawn by his love of nature and biodiversity, he knew he wanted to make an impact while he was still young and decided to start Ecolox after meeting his co-founder. Concrete, you will learn that during this episode, is the second most used material in the world after water. And with that use comes a lot of emissions. In this episode, we examine those emissions, which ones are harder to abate, and how are they addressed by Equinox solution. We then take a wider view of the industry how is the market organized? Who are the main actors? What are the current regulatory frameworks in place? In doing so, we get a concrete understanding of Ecolog's solution and how it fits in the larger sector. During the second part of the show, we learn where Mario has focused his efforts to accelerate his fundraising process and what has been successful. We then learn how Mario keeps up his energy and why sometimes you just need to take a break. Mario, welcome to the show. Hi, Mario. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today on the show. 
I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about your exciting adventure to make climate positive concrete a reality with Ecolocked, which has been developing and using carbon negative materials to create an emission free built environment, starting with concrete, I believe. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Guillaume. I'm very happy to be here. Super excited to hear your story. So maybe, as usual, we like to start with a 30-second introduction about the, the company. So if you could uh, give that to, uh, to the audience here. Yeah, sure. So um, what Ecolog does is essentially turn captured carbon in the form of biochar or biocarbon, which most of the audience will know, I think, into a functional resource for concrete. So in fact, what we are developing is a process for turning biochar into an additive for concrete that partially replaces cement and partially replaces other concrete ingredients, the emission intensive ones. Um, and then we can make the concrete carbon neutral and lighter and more insulating and with a couple of further benefits. And the great thing about that is we can do that um, agnostic of location and of feedstock to really make it globally scalable. Um, why we do that is two things. Like on the one hand, of course, we want to provide the construction industry with a solution for decarbonization, but also we want to enable carbon removal at scale um, around the globe. And we really believe that biochar is one of the most cost effective um, and, and market ready, right? Um, available technologies that really just um, is lacking a scalable end use case. So let's start from the from the top in the in the show. We like to uh, you know start with uh, with the speaker as a as a human as a person uh, more than uh, the whole uh, journey as a, as an entrepreneur at first. So maybe you can share with us a, a little bit about your your personal story and background. I mean, as I always ask, I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides uh, building ecologic? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or, or like your best self? You know, who is uh, mm -hmm. Mayo? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, so what has always inspired me a lot is in fact nature, which is a good thing for, I guess, a climate or environmental founder. Um, but it's true because that's really the place where I can be most myself, most relaxed and also be most inspired and get the greatest ideas, right? Like, of course, there are many other things that I like to do. Music inspires me a lot, um, doing different kinds of sports, ideally also in nature. Um, but there's always this, this sort of theme, I guess, of nature, which has always been a place, an important place for me. And that's also why, I guess, um, at a very early stage in my career, I already knew that I wanted to make it about environmental preservation, nature preservation. Um, and I just back then, I mean, that was when I was 18, I was reading this huge report on, on climate change. I was shocked by why nobody was doing anything. And obviously at that time, I didn't know how, right? But um, yeah, now here I am. Fantastic. So I think that's a, that's a good segue to kind of like understand like uh, prior to the launch of uh, Ecologue, I mean, uh, what was your work and life experience in a way that gave you an edge to, to start the, the company? If you have maybe one or two uh, pieces of uh, experience that uh, helped you to be yeah. a, a better founder today. Um, yeah, I mean, so what led me to being an entrepreneur is not that I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but it's more like that sort of 
I noticed that the the topics I care about, which is um, the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis, require entrepreneurial solutions. So like I'm an economist by training, right? And before um, founding Ecolog, I was working for a long time at the Boston Consulting Group, uh, which was great. I saw a lot of different industries. And what I think also helped me um, in my role now is that I saw different industries really from the inside, right? So at the factory level, how do they work? What do they struggle with? Why is decarbonization also difficult? It's a lot more difficult than if you just write smart recommendations on paper, um, which I guess is also a nice segue into why then the decision to, to become an entrepreneur. Um, I, I realized for myself that sort of as a consultant, you leave the decision to implement all these smart recommendations you come up with to the client, which can be the industry or which can be the government or, or whoever. But like in, in the face of the urgency that we have with these crises, we, that's not really a good strategy um, because we know that, well, there's this element of cost. And as soon as something is still more expensive in large industries, it's super, super tough to make it happen. And that's sort of, in 2021, I just realized, okay, if I wanna still have a huge impact while I'm young, then entrepreneurship is the best way to do that. And so I was looking out for, um, for options to really help um, set up and, and, and um, a company that is, I guess, developing a technological solution, making that uh, cheaper for, the in for industries to, to transform so that this transformation really happens. Um, and yeah, then um, maybe I stop here, but sort of how it goes on is that then I meet my co-founder, Michael, and the whole story of Ecolog starts. And I think before going into the into detail of the and the genesis of the of the whole story of Ecolog, uh, as I mentioned uh, prior to uh, to the interview, we like to kind of take a, a zoom out at the industry in specific and uh, in general. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I'd like to, you know, understand a little bit more about uh, your experience in this, uh, you know, concrete uh, industry and, and understand a little bit like more the, the contribution to uh, to climate change today. I mean, we, we hear a lot about it and uh, maybe we can start with like, um, uh, you know, trying to go a little bit deeper and to put things back into perspective, maybe you could like uh, help us to understand the, the problem and share with us some uh, some data regarding uh, the concrete industry in itself, uh, the different uh, and understanding a little bit like also like the, the different uh, you know, type of concrete uh, used uh, in the industry, the, the, the elements that uh, uh, in a way are, are generating uh, during the whole life mm -hmm. cycle, the, the, um, the, the greenhouse gas emission and the, the contribution, uh, you know, that has yep. uh, that creates this uh, this massive problem yeah so maybe i start by by saying that concrete is the second most used material in the world after water right so so in fact it's actually <laughs> the the most uh, used solid material in the whole world and um, it's a 600 billion roughly global market and while we are always like thinking about other ways to build right with wood for example which is actually a great solution for residential buildings and for certain other applications, still um, the, I think it's the World Resources Institute that predicts global concrete consumption to double until 2060. So, so, so that's where we are. And already now we have 8% of global emissions in concrete. 
Um, and it's one of the industries that's uh, hardest to decarbonize. And I'm going to say um, why in a second, um, which is sort of about the process, right? But then with these numbers, we can imagine sort of where this is going to go in terms of emissions. Now, uh, how that happens. So for concrete, what you need is simplified, right? There's tons of different concrete. There's different strength grades. There's different um, ways of application. The biggest one is uh, ready mix concrete. That's about 80% of the market, right? That's these concrete, the trucks you see on the highway who transport that to construction sites. And then you have, then you have precast elements with just like floor slab, for example, um, or, or, or roof tiles. And then you have sort of do it yourself. And I guess you have decorative concrete and 3D printed like the smaller sections. Now, what you need in general is cement, um, is uh, water, and it's different aggregates like gravel and sand. The aggregates, they have more of a biodiversity footprint, in fact, um, especially the sand because you need a certain type of sand and you cannot just take desert sand uh, because it has like the wrong shape, uh, which is, um, becoming an issue because like at least in Central Europe we are running out of that sand so we need to dredge up more and more from riverbeds so there you have an ecosystem issue actually but the climate issue is really the cement um, and how that cement is made so cement is like a combination of of calcium uh, oxide um, you have aluminum oxide you have uh, silica oxide and a few other um, a few other components in there and the problem is really in the um, in the production of that, this cement clinker, as it's called, you're essentially uh, transforming calcium carbonate, which is limestone, um, into uh, calcium oxide and CO2, right? I need to heat it up to like about 1450 degrees Celsius. And this process, this re reduction process essentially causes the reaction between um, carbon and, 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 and uh, oxygen that just um, leads to the release of CO2. Um, and, and this is such an sort of inherent part of how concrete is made that so far there's not been many solutions um, to this emission problem because you need cement clinker as a binder. So I think it's a good segue to uh, to, to move uh, slowly towards like uh, what are the you know different technology or alternatives uh, besides yours uh, that you are seeing uh, getting some uh, some traction to decarbonize this uh, this concrete and I and I guess most of them are focusing on the, the the cement clinker or these other parts of the the cement yeah. the, the I would say the uh, concrete mix that are also like uh, popping up as a as alternative that. Uh, in a way helps to decrease the, the footprint as we understand anyway that the footprint the, the major one is uh, on the cement uh, uh, production uh, exactly in itself yeah so maybe i can break these up into like three or four categories if i start with the first one that's like the ones that the industry is already using already applying um, the first one is very simply concrete recycling which essentially means when a building is disassembled um, you you uh, break up the concrete, you, you grind it, and um, what you end up with is particles that can be at least used as an aggregate replacement. And sometimes a small part can be used as a cement replacement, that, but that's, it's not a big part of emissions. You're saving with that, but it's something the industry has sort of 
is adopting at scale because it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, the second one, which has long been sort of the one silver bullet or solution for the concrete industry is secondary cementitious material, also called geopolymers. So what you have in there is like fly ash, a byproduct from burning coal, and you have blast furnace slag. Um, both of these are byproducts from sort of fossil powered processes. And with those, you can partially replace the cement. So, so to make it a bit more illustrative, um, typically a ton of cement has about 800 kilograms of CO2, or it used to be 900 even, right? In some jurisdictions, I think in the US it's still higher. Um, with the use of secondary cementitious materials, you can already get down to 500, 550. I mean, different companies have come up with different mixes. So this is a good solution, but for the moment, right? But in the future, we may have an issue there because we're trying to phase out fossil coal burning. So unless we want to sort of ship this fly ash around the world from those countries that still use fossil coal, we're going to have an issue there. Um, and the industry has seen that. Now, if it comes to what the industry is then trying to to use as sort of the go-to solution for abating the rest of the emissions and source capture systems like uh, like oxyfuel or um amine vesha i don't know what that in english in fact but the <laughs> the classic process um the the the, the post-combustion one um and we all know how expensive that is i mean i'm sure there's there's been other um interviews where that was a topic we've seen recent um, plants being installed for like 150 million, 200 million euros extra. And um, what we believe is just that it, it's going to take a long time until this is rolled out at scale and really abating the emissions to the extent that we need it. It's going to be 2040 at least until this is really done and installed in all the cement plants. So, so that can't be the only solution, right? And then you have two more clusters, which are like the, I would call them the startup clusters. Um, and one of them is solutions that are going to be market ready soon or are market ready already without sort of saying, I'm, I'm not the expert. I don't have the sort of insight into what all these companies are doing. Right. But that's our outside perspective. And the other one are those that take a little bit longer. But if we look at what's what's getting market ready soon, um, we're a big fan, for example, of mineralization. Right. So capturing um, CO2, for example, via direct air capture, mineralizing it in a rock like olivine rock, for example, grinding that up and you have a great binder replacement. So you can replace a big part of cement. Um, it's also not very cheap, uh, I think, but it's a great solution. Now, then secondly, you have sort of the carbon curing, I guess, or recarbonization, whatever we want to call it, but carbon cure, you know, these, these companies are unknown um, where you essentially uh, use less limestone in the beginning, and then you inject CO2 as a gas later on, which supports the curing process, um, and you, you create calcium carbonate again. Uh, also a great process. Um, one cool thing, by the way, is that um, why we like these processes and have looked into them is that we can actually combine our solution with theirs, and there's even sort of a mutual reinforcement. Um, we're going to get to that later, I guess, but when you use biochar in a, in a concrete like that, you have that positive effect. Um, what else is there? I think there's sort of AI-based optimization.
Here we are, we're back. So we got a little emergency fire alarm during uh, uh, during the recording of this episode. That's why uh, for the one who are watching on uh, on YouTube, you will uh, notice that the background of uh, Mario changed. So Mario, everything fine? Uh, you still have an office? Yeah, a bit of bit of action on a but but you know as a founder you're always firefighting. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a very classic day then. Fantastic. So. You are like uh, finalizing uh, the different alternatives. I think one category was missing that you wanted to uh, to wrap that up uh, before we uh, we keep going uh, into the interview. Yeah, right. So so I was speaking about this category where like market ready solutions are available now or very soon, and where we can see a lot of cooperation potential also with our solutions. Where essentially um, a lot of those are focused on replacing cement clinker as a binder, partially or fully. And you can sort of stack that with our carbon negative additive, and then together you really get to carbon negative. Um, the the final category is sort of the more explorative solutions, but which are really fascinating. Really fascinating. It just will take quite a while until that's market ready. But but, but I believe when it's market ready, so far as I understood, it's actually going to be quite cost competitive. And they are replacing calcium carbonate with calcium silicate, so they're really sort of turning around to how, how, how uh, cement is made. And then some others that I would see in this category is sort of the, the bio cements that grow like cement out of bacteria. Um, and, and I think once that sort of, once, once they break through, that can really fundamentally change the industry. But of course they are facing the challenge of really going against the big cement players rather than sort of, you know, going jointly with the industry. So it will be interesting how, how that, Hands out then. Thank you so much for, for sharing this whole, uh, whole perspective. Now that you understand a bit better the, the, the source of the problem, some you know potential alternatives, uh, I think to and I, this is a good segue to what you just said, like to get more complete uh, you know understanding of the of the context. If you could maybe tell us a bit a little bit more about like who are the main actors in the in the concrete industry today and how the market is organized. I mean, wh what are their limitations or incentive in a way to take initiative to decarbonize the uh, the industry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's actually quite a, a complex question. So I'm going to um, try to to be structured and um, keep it simple. But I mean, essentially, the, the types of actors you have in the value chain, right? Um, if we maybe start at the end of it, you have whoever is building a structure or like an infrastructure or a building, right? So this can be real estate developers or it can be um, residential owners or it can be municipalities. Now, actually, public procurement in, in some countries, it's like 50% of the market. In others, it's like 30, but it's quite substantial. So these are the guys who actually sort of set the criteria, like what do I want to have in my building in terms of materials? What, what footprint should it have? And what am I willing to pay for this? And well, needless to say, but up until now, most people just cared about sort of how does it look? What functionality does it have? How much will it cost? And cost played a big role. Uh, and, and CO2 footprint, not a big one, um, to be fair. Especially embodied CO2, right? Maybe that's an important distinction to make here. Like a big part of the industry is caring now about operational CO2 um, from, from HVAC, um, energy consumption essentially. And embodied CO2 is just sort of shaping up as a topic. Now, these guys set the criteria then for procuring materials, which is regularly done by construction companies. Um, like, you know, we all know some construction companies, some big ones in our 
in our countries. And so if, if the budget um, is set very narrow, then those guys will just decide based on cost. Um, that's, the, that's the extreme case. Then you have different degrees of, of construction companies. You have sort of those that take care of the, the raw structure, subcontractors often, and then you have like the main um, sort of turnkey uh, provider uh, or general contractor, GC, often called. Um, and so these, for us as a company and for many others in the industry, they are enablers, decision makers. They are the ones who really create the pull. So if they are willing to pay more for a material because it's green, because they can benefit from it, and we can go into how they can benefit from it later. But if they do that, that's a big pull um, that sort of can also change how concrete manufacturers then take decisions in terms of the materials they, they procure. Now, then next step before that, you have the actual concrete manufacturers. What's very interesting is that this is a very, very fragmented market. So like where you're sitting, where I'm sitting, like in, in a radius of 50 kilometers, there's going to be a concrete manufacturer. Um, especially as with ready-mix concrete, you can usually not transport it for, for longer than 50 kilometers. Um, so that's why I'm saying this radius. And, and, and so that's why this is very fragmented. Some of the concrete manufacturers are vertically integrated from the big cement players, but you also have a lot of independent ones um, that, you, that you can work with. And of course, then you have those that focus more on precast and those that focus more on, uh, on, on ready-mix. And then finally, step before that is the big cement players. And, and I think here, I mean, we, we all know them, so I can drop a few names, I guess. Like you have, you have Holzim, you have Semex. Um, in Germany, we have Heidelberg materials here. Um, and then there's a couple more. Of course, there's a lot in Asia, right? But these are just to, 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 to say a few names. So this is a very concentrated market, in fact, with these big players having their operations everywhere delivering cement to the concrete manufacturers where it's then like physically um, produced. And when it now comes to the question, like who has an incentive to, to change there, I already touched upon that, right? With the sort of decision makers at the, at the end of the value chain. Um, as, a, as a real estate developer or as a municipality, uh, more and more I actually want to or have to um, sort of take care of my embodied CO2 footprint from the building. So how much CO2 has been emitted up until the point when the building gets operational. Um, how that comes into play is nowadays, I mean, it's just mostly reporting, to be fair, and not so much sort of fixed criteria yet. But what we see up and coming, a couple of European countries have already implemented that, is that you're going to have um, reporting requirements for sort of the maximum amount of CO2 or, or general for the amount of CO2 that can be um, in, in the materials you use. And then there's going to be thresholds for the maximum. Um, so this is going to come, especially in public procurement. Um, and then in the, in the private sector, what you have there, I think what plays a role is, you know, like, like, in, like in any value chain labeling, essentially. So you can get um, sustainable building certifications. So like in Germany, we have DGNB, then, then globally there's BRIAM, there's LED, there's the um, CSC, which is the uh, uh, sustainable, I'm not sure if it's Climate Sustainability Council or if it's Con Construction Sustainability Council, right? So you can get these certifications and then as a developer, you benefit from that, for example, because if, if you, you're building an office building, right, and the 
the companies moving in there want sort of a proof that you actually looked at a sustainability, then uh, you can prove that. Um, in general, that also increases the, 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 the value of your construction project and, um, and it, uh, it, it gets you access to maybe green uh, sort of funding sources. So this is really like sort of if we look at the end of the value chain, even if regulation is not being strict yet and if there's not sort of super formal absolute needs to, to do that, you still have incentives. And if we look at sort of the center of the value chain, so more like <clears throat> the cement and concrete producers, then we're really looking at a more of a cost game. Um, it's not true throughout all segments, right? There's premium segments, but, but still. Um, so there, what really plays a role is, are you, is, is there any regulation forcing you to reduce CO2? And if I'm a, if I'm a cement producer in Europe, I'm part of the ETS, the European Emission Trading Scheme. Um, I have to show uh, certificates for, for any amount that I'm not reducing. Unfortunately, these emission allowances are still being distributed for free. Um, and this is going to be phased out very soon, but that's why sort of, even if we look there at the industry, the incentives are not super, super strict yet. They're just getting there. But right now we're rather looking at sort of using sustainability for reporting, right? You have your nice looking sustainability report at the end of the year where you want to say, hey, my concrete is actually carbon neutral. That was a bit long, but I, <laughs> as I said, it's a no, I think that's, uh, that's super valuable to really understand this uh, more regulatory, uh, you know, uh, push. And do you see, to close this section quickly, like, do you see any like uh, uh, missing ones on the maybe production and seven productors, uh, one that uh, should be implemented or maybe a major difference between the European market, as you mentioned, or the US, uh, the US market that could in a way accelerate uh, the fully decarbonization of the, the concrete uh, industry? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, once these these emission allowances are being phased out, right, that can have a big impact. So if we just look at, at sort of incentives, then I think these um, maximum threshold reporting requirements is, you know, just like we do it in other industries, that we, this would be uh, providing sort of planning certainty for the industry for something that, that they need to do anyways. So, so I think thereby it would streamline sort of the, the I guess the, 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 the more low uh, short-term need of the industry for um, financial accounting and, and sort of project um, RI calculation with the long-term need to decarbonize, which is gonna come anyways. Right, and that's why that's why I think the more EU initiatives and 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 outside EU um, we have there, the better. If we look at other markets, I mean, it's it's really it's really fragmented. Um, in as far as I know, in the US, there's there's no mandatory requirement like that yet. But what the US is doing very well is working with subsidies for um, you know as part of the IRA now, for example. Uh, for sort of innovative technologies that help to to decarbonize concrete. So I guess it's just a, it's a different kind of um, fiscal policy there, which we are just starting to, I guess, copy a little bit in Europe, but which is not so pronounced here yet. But that that could have a huge impact as well. 
And I guess finally, and this is something that all new, all new concrete materials are facing is approval, which is a big challenge for us because, um, so when you develop a new concrete material um, and you want to sort of not use it just for one, two, three projects and sort of get approval on an individual basis, but you actually want to get your CE mark in Europe, for example, and there's different ones in other markets, then you have to um, go through a bureaucratic approval process. And interestingly, how that works is the, it, the certifications are rather based nowadays on sort of the material ideally being as close to the ones I know in terms of shape and looks and color, etc., as possible, and then it goes faster. But, but if it's fundamentally a different material, it doesn't matter so much that actually the performance works well, you still have to go through these long processes. Um, and um, in our case, for example, we can, we can show with our data that it works for ready-mixed concrete, but still we're gonna go, uh, have to go through these processes and that can take like one and a half, two years, um, which by the way, doesn't mean that we can not do projects until then. There's sort of segments within concrete that don't require that, where you just um, show your data plus external validation, and then the, the producer says, okay, I believe that, that's proof enough, let's do a project. So that's, for example, in, in many precast um, segments. So that's great, and we can still do some RMC projects based on individual approval, but for the sort of to really scale this up, you need the broad approval, and that's, um, that's uh, especially for RMC. Okay. Well, thank you so much for covering this uh, and extensively the, the whole concrete, uh, uh, you know, industry in itself. So now let's go deeper into uh, into a collect. Uh, <clears throat> you already touched uh, touch up a little bit on that, but uh, if you could like you know uh, reshare with us like the, the the story behind it, the gap that you identified initially, and uh, and in a way uh, why did a collect had to exist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, so really where we come from, as I touched upon it, was that um, so my co-founder was researching uh, biochar or biocarbon, as we like to call it in, in, in general, and being sort of uh, excited about the potential of this technology as a carbon removal technology, right? Why? Well, I probably don't have to go into detail about how, how biochar is produced, but essentially by, you know, pyrolyzing waste biomass, what you get is you reduce and uh, you remove up to three tons of CO2 per ton of this material. Um, then you get the material itself, which is highly functional, can be used in many different industries like um, construction, for example. And then modern pyrolysis systems even make use of the, like the rest of the components of the waste biomass, it ends up in a gas that can be used for energy generation. So that's great. Now, uh, we looked at this material and we thought, okay, how can we really scale this up globally? And we looked at sort of the, I guess, the commonly known applications of which the most popular one is agriculture. So we interviewed a lot of farmers, um, obviously very centered on, on, on Central Europe, but still representative to some extent, I would say. And, and, and we noticed that there's just sort of a gap between their ability to pay for an additional material that you, that you distribute on, on the acres and the time of returns for that, which is like in, in, in five years, 
from now, maybe earliest when the yields get better, when sort of more humus is formed, the water retention capacity is enhanced and, and all these things. And, and so then we know we, we sort of concluded, okay, agriculture is going to be quite difficult to, to scale up with biochar globally. So what else can you do? What industry is there that is willing to pay for this material? Ideally, because you replace something else, right, that they are currently paying for, and where we can also provide a scalable um, sink for it. And it turns out that actually uh, concrete is the most permanent sink you can imagine um, for biochar. Why is that? Because, and we're going to go into that later, right? But even if the building is disassembled, the concrete is ground up, as we were saying in the beginning, the, the biochar particles stay um, bound to the, uh, to, to, to the um, calcium particles. And so it can be reused still no emissions are released. And that's being more and more sort of um, acknowledged also by, by experts in the carbon removal space. And so here we have like an industry that's in need of a decarbonization solution. And we have an industry that's willing to pay for that. And we have a very scalable thing for this great carbon removal technology, right? And all of that together just seemed like something that deserved a company. And so that's why we decided to, to found Ecolog. Okay, so if you can uh, maybe like walk us through on the, on the product side, I mean, what is the, the, the process? How does it work? How invasive uh, is it to use your, uh, you know, feedstock for the, the, the producer in the, the traditional like, uh, you know, uh, cement or concrete facilities? Uh, if you could help us maybe to visualize for the, the audience, like the, the process and understand your uh, secret source or secret mix, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so one, I guess, um, sort of goal we, we set for ourselves is that we want to make it as simple as possible for the industry to apply this so that we actually can use it very soon um, without having to sort of revamp the entire process. And what that means is actually we integrate the biochar through what we call admixes. We call them ecolog materials, that's like our, our branding name there. And they can be dropped in during the concrete mixing process as it is today at the plant or on site of a construction project. Now, how do we get to these mixes? We always start sort of with the recipe that would otherwise be used, right? The conventional recipe for a concrete, um, which can be kind of many different shapes depending on whether, you know, I have like a foundation, I have a floor slab, I have a, a structural pillar. And then um, we take that recipe and based on our library of biocarbon materials and what we sort of identified as the, the performance predicting factors in the chemical and physical composition, we come up with a modified recipe that is optimized for CO2 and for the functional performance parameters that I want to have in this specific concrete, right? So, so some of them might care more and some of them durability Freeze-thaw resistance, for example, might be more important. In others, it might be more thermal insulation. And so, so I can tweak that. And then the recipe we come up with is a modified version that contains these admix materials. And the admix materials then again are what we make out of one or maybe several um, biocarbons, which is 
of course something that I cannot go into too too much detail on. But then essentially what we deliver for the industry is recipe plus admix material plus sort of the the whole process around that when it comes to, for example, the carbon credit management and all of that. So double clicking a little bit uh, and you know stop me if uh, we go too far in terms of uh, trade secret and a uh, recipe secret. But uh, on the biochar as a as a as a feedstocks, I mean that you put in this uh, in this mix. I mean, can you tell us a bit more like about f for the people who don't know anything about this biochar, like where does it come from, what is suitable, and and do you guys like produce that on site or buy it from like uh, different suppliers? Uh, how, how does it work? How do you get this, uh, you know, main, I guess, uh, material that goes into your, uh, mm -hmm. your mix? Yeah. Um, so first I want to say that uh, we can do both. So we can produce it ourselves. We can also source it from others. The reason is really that so far we've focused on what we call sort of the, the material science behind it, right? So why is there so much material science? Maybe that's um, a good way to start this because every biochar is different depending on the feedstock material I use, the waste biomass, and depending on the processing um, setup I use, for example, the uh, temperature that I use for pyrolysis. Now, I can, I can make biochar, for example, out of um, waste wood, as many do nowadays. I can make it out of uh, food industry waste, agricultural waste, or even um, manure, for example. And, and, and depending on that, it will have many different characteristics. Now, the, if you look at the market today, um, it's really still a nascent market, I would say. So in Europe, I think we have a production capacity of about 80,000 tons a year. Um, but the interesting thing is this is growing by 80% a year. So it's growing really, really fast because biochar is getting popular as a carbon removal technology now. And so you have many different producers and suppliers, some of which are more looking to stay small, um, some of which are also looking into scaling around the world. And we think that's actually great because we see ourselves not sort of as a biochar supplier, but as the ones in the next step who are like refining the material, turning into a concrete additive. So we would love nothing more as when there are a couple of companies really scaling this up around the globe, who we can then work with in certain locations, procure their biochar, um, refine it and, and integrate it into exactly the recipes and the concrete types that producers there on site need. Um, nevertheless, it can very well be that, um, you know, if this all works out well, and if uh, sort of we continue to to see good demand for our solution, that in certain locations we might just have to set up pyrolysis facilities ourselves to meet the need for certain types of biochar and certain feedstocks. So, in terms of uh, CO2 compensation, I mean, uh, this biochar, when you produce it into, through the pyrolysis, uh, you know, like uh, infrastructure, I mean, you need the energy there. Uh, so, when you add that into the into the concrete, if you compare that to the regular cement, what is the, the, the ratio that you have in terms of like uh, CO2, uh, you know, saved or removed, uh, if that makes yeah. sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah it does. Um, so... So every concrete is different, but on average, let's say for the sake of the example, we have about 250 kilograms of CO2 
in a regular meter cubed of concrete. And now our ambition is definitely to provide carbon neutral mixes or even carbon negative mixes um, across all the concrete applications that sort of our product works for. And that's like, we, we haven't tested it for all of them yet, right? But just what we know from the academic literature is that this is about 90% of, of concrete applications. And there's just a few niches where um, the solution maybe can't be applied. Now, that means these entire 250 kilograms can be um, abated through uh, the use of the combination, essentially, of the carbon negative material we put in and the emission-causing material, the cement and aggregates that we take out, right? So the combination of both effects, and that's how you get to zero then or below zero for this meter cubed of concrete. What I want to mention there is um, it's important when we when we look at the biochar market nowadays, right? Like a lot of producers, um, typically, if the biochar ends up in the soil in agriculture, um, then the certificate would be sold to, you know, the likes of Microsoft and Amazon and Stripe, who use it to compensate for their emissions. If we want to, in our case, we actually use the biochar physically in the material. So if it's compensating any emissions, um, it should be done right there, which means that the project end user should also be the one who's buying and retiring the credits because otherwise you might have double counting and that's you want to definitely avoid. Um, and, and, and sort of this is a new carbon or an extended carbon credit management process that we are currently um, setting up, developing and also discussing with the MRV providers out there because we really want to make sure that this is not like an offsetting solution, but truly um, a carbon negative additive that's just adding on top what's anyways done. So what are the, the, the current and expected uh, economics of Ecolog? I mean, how much does it cost uh, to use your admix uh, versus regular, let's say, the, the Portland uh, you know, cement or, or, or the concrete? Uh, I mean, what is your business model and the, the, the future projection, if you can you know, share that a little bit uh, with the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, so if we look at the the future, like the business model, right? So the business model currently involves we produce um, the or we, we we take biochar, we refine it into our ad mixes and we sell it together with the recipe. Um, and that involves essentially then the price of the material plus a license fee, which you could call our, our margins then as well. Um, in the future, sort of whether we produce in certain locations ourselves or whether we license the entire um, post-processing, whether, whether we license that out or whether we maybe even vertically integrate and produce the biochar in other locations, that's TBD there. We really care about setting up value chains that are efficient, that are minimizing transport. Um, but 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 that's the essence sort of of the business model what I just said. Now, if we look at economics, it's actually quite hard to say, you know, to 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 tell you one number about the costs right now because we are in the really in the pilot stage. We're just starting to do the first pilots, and what we've seen is every pilot is so different in terms of um, 
in terms of where we source the materials from, the feedstocks being used, um, the uh, the logistics, how we do the post-processing, it's all still very, very inefficient, right? So you can really imagine it as, okay, we have a new project that's maybe like 100 kilometers from here and it's supposed to happen very, very soon. Okay, we find a, a biocarbon supplier who's, uh, who's, whose material is suitable for that recipe then we need to post-process it. So we ship it around quite a bit. And so, right, this is really not how I imagine the setup in the future. Um, in the future, we are very, very confident that we can get to a premium of between five and 20, maybe maximum 25% on the meter cubed of concrete in different applications. So the higher strength applications might be a bit more expensive. The lower strength would be very, very close to, to cost competitive. And that's actually quite a good deal, uh, I would say, because this is not even sort of taking into account yet some of the functional improvements we can achieve. Maybe why is there still this premium? Well, we just what we have to have to do with here is materials that are notoriously cheap, um, cement and aggregates, right? And and it's just for any material very very difficult to compete with that. But interestingly, even there, we've seen price increases of 50 to 100% um, in recent years. So it's something is changing. So I'd like to, to cover, uh, to cause a little bit this, this section as well with you. Um, I mean, you mentioned that pilot phase today, uh, so still a lot to, uh, to learn uh, and to experiment. But um, I mean, you mentioned also like the, the, the market uh, opportunity here we're talking about 600 billion uh, if i uh, use your uh, your term so mm -hmm. how are you planning to to scale your operation uh in streamline uh all of those uh, this those process i mean uh, and how do you you know working with those um, concrete uh, concrete producers like how do you approach them uh how do they receive you are you guys doing pilot with them uh, are they like mm -hmm. uh, receptive to that uh, a lot of questions here, but just to try to understand like those different, uh, you know, steps where you are today yep. and what's next, uh, in a way, what keeps you uh, up at night today? Yeah, and that's a, that's a very fair question because, uh, because there are so many different ways how you can scale this, but each of them has their challenges, right? So first thing we're doing this year, and I think that's the most important step is to do pilot projects in different categories of concrete to really create a proof of concept um, and a proof of concept in two ways, like in the technical way that I can showcase, look, this works not only in our laboratory, but it actually works um, out there. And then secondly, um, a commercial proof of concept in the sense like, okay, and there's actually companies out there willing to pay for this, uh, both manufacturers, which is more than in the precast space and real estate companies, which is sort of more in the, in the project business. Um, and so that's really important for this year. At the same time, um, we are uh, preparing sort of the value chain which you will need for scale up. And what that means is essentially we want to we want to um, set up almost a platform of many many biocarbon suppliers, producers, traders, you name it, um, in the way that. When we enter a new market um, and we have demand there from from the from the construction uh, side, then for any given recipe, 
we can very, very swiftly come up with the optimized biocarbon-based recipe based on locally available resources. So really this flexibility to, to deliver that location feedstock agnostic, that's the, that's the idea for the future. Um, and, there, and, and there comes in the, the idea of the platform, right? And, and yeah. Um, and then when it, comes to, when it comes to operations, one thing that we want to do very soon actually beginning of next year and maybe when it comes to sort of what are our needs later this is one of the things that are keeping me up at night now um we want to build up a demo plant and by demo plant i mean a small plant that sort of co contains all the steps from raw biochar comes uh, arrives from the producer up until the point where i have like a, a blended ground up perfectly mixed packaged product that just needs to be shipped to the concrete producer and dropped in. And this plant we want to send up um, next year. And what's keeping me up at night there is the CapEx funding, um, which is, I guess, keeping up many, many uh, climate tech founders at night. But that's really how we want to sort of show, okay, this is how it would work efficiently. And then um, this efficient organization, almost like put, it, put all of that in a container and then reproduce that everywhere so that you kind of really localize bio waste, almost like waste biomass to concrete value chains where you have like the pyrolysis plant, then you have this container with all the steps we need for the refining post-processing. And ideally the concrete manufacturing plant is next door and thereby you, you really have a circular process. Thank you so much for sharing all of those uh, amazing uh, progress that you guys are doing. So uh, one question that I'd like to, uh, to ask on the show, it's uh, what's your personal uh, opinion on the, on the climate crisis? I mean, what would be your words to the, the people who feel demoralized, uh, stressed, anxious, uh, seeing all of the already visible consequences of uh, climate change today? Uh, are we doomed? Yeah, that's a very difficult question. And I mean, to be, to be quite honest, I'm also increasingly frustrated with political action um you know i'm i'm based in germany and um we've recently done things like almost stopped the uh the the um the combustion car ban <laughs> in europe they were trying to stop it luckily it still went through but but sort of so uh it's 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 hard to 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 stay motivated there but when i see this this entire space of people in, 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 in climate tech, right? Whether that's founders, whether that's investors and this increasingly large group of people willing to um, pour money into this as well. That sort of tells me, okay, there's still a chance. And I guess even though we, we need politics, politics needs to set like the sort of the incentives, the framework conditions, but um, with, with this, great bunch of people and all these ideas if only a few of them really get scaled to where we all say they will get scaled to right like everyone thinks that about their technology but if only a few of them get there then we can actually have a huge impact and then we can maybe get back on a two degrees path or 1.5 1.5 is really ambitious as well but but right so long story short i think it's the the technology side that um is 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 helping me there stay hopeful. Well, thank you so much. So any uh, question that uh, I should have asked you uh, that I didn't do for this uh, first part of the interview? 
Um, I think that was uh, very comprehensive, and I hope I didn't talk too too long in the different sections. <laughs> Maybe la la last one. How can uh, the listeners of uh, you know investors, founders, experts, CVCs around the, the world listening to the show can uh, can help you? What would be uh, your ask? Yeah, I mean, so I guess um, the first one, like I just said, right? So capex funding is um, is a difficult topic. Um, I think in the U.S. there's more and more programs for that by the DOE, by DARPA, etc. In in Europe, it's still more difficult, um, especially when you're at that stage where you are not fully commercial yet, but you still want to build a pilot plan. So, so if there is um, sort of landed funding providers, um, that providers. I mean, we were talking to some, but in general, like if anyone has ideas, solutions, um, leads there please hit us up because, uh, yeah, that's not an easy one. The second one, which is maybe a bit easier, we're always looking for great talent, um, especially great talent uh, with a background in the construction industry or even in concrete, you know, like material scientists, concrete technologists. Um, uh, that's a, it's also a rare breed. Um, and there's a, a lot of competition for them out there. So I can only say like, hey guys, if you want to work in a, in a climate tech company and, and try to solve this big crisis, then, then please hit us up. We would be very, very happy to, to welcome you. Um, yeah, and I guess finally, like I said before, um, whoever is interested in, 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 in uh, trying out um, our materials together, maybe together with their solution, you know, if it's an, another decarbonization solution for concrete, or of course, in a project, um, in a real estate project, in, in another uh, municipal project to get carbon neutral concrete, um, hit us up because we're very, very happy to, to do that. Thank you so much, uh, Mario, for, for your time, incredible insight uh, on the industry. I'm so excited to see uh, amazing founders like you and people putting so much time and effort to make uh, our world uh, a better place, uh, a greener world uh, and a more climate uh, friendly world as well. So uh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much, Guillaume. Thanks pleasure. again for joining us on the Tech Footnote podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more Climate Tech Insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And see you next time.